0: Chapter Three, Part Two of The Sword of Antietam. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Sword of Antietam by Joseph A. Altshiller. Chapter Three Beside the River Part Two. THE EVENING WAS NOW AT HAND. THE SUN WAS SETTING ONCE MORE OVER THE VIRGINIA HILLS, DESTINED TO BE SCARRED SO DEEPLY BY BATTLE. BUT ATTACK AND DEFENSE WENT ON. AS NIGHT CAME, THE THUDDING OF CANNON ADDED TO THE TUMULT, AND THEN THE THREE BOYS SAW THE Rappahannock, A DEEP AND WIDE STREAM FLOWING BETWEEN HIGH BANKS, CRESTED WITH TIMBER. AHEAD OF THEM, POPE'S ARMY, was crossing on the bridge and in boats, and masses of infantry supported by heavy batteries had turned to protect the crossing. The southern vanguard could not assail such a powerful force, and before the night was over, the whole Union army passed to the northern side of the Rappahannock. Dick felt a mixture of chagrin and satisfaction as he crossed the river, chagrin that this great army should draw back as mcclellan's had been forced to draw back at the seven days, and satisfaction that they were safe for the time being and could prepare for a new start. But the feeling of exultation soon passed and gave way wholly to chagrin. They were retreating before an army not exceeding their own, in numbers perhaps less. They had another great force, the Army of the Potomac, which should have been there, and then they could have bade defiance to Lee and Jackson. The North, with its great numbers, its fine courage, and its splendid patriotism, should never be retreating. He felt once more, as thousands of others felt, that the hand on the reins was neither strong nor sure, and that the great trouble lay there. They ought not to be hiding behind a river. Lee and Jackson did not do it, Dick remembered that grim commander in the West, the silent Grant, and he did not believe he would be retreating. Long after darkness came, the firing continued between skirmishers across the stream, but finally it too waned, and Dick was permitted to throw himself upon the ground and sleep with the sleeping thousands. Warner and Pennington slept near him, and not far away was the brave sergeant. Even he was overpowered by fatigue, and he slept like one dead, never stirring. Dick was awakened next morning by the booming of cannon. He had become so much used to such sounds, that he would have slept on, had not the crashes been so irregular. He stood up, rubbed his eyes, and then looked in the direction whence came the cannonade. He saw from the crest of a hill great numbers of Confederate troops on the other side of the river, the August sun glittering over thousands of bayonets and rifle barrels, and along the somber batteries of great guns. The firing, so far as he could determine, was merely to feel out or annoy the northern army. It was a strange sight to Dick, one that is not looked upon often. Two great armies, gazing across a river at each other, and sure to meet, sooner or later, in mortal combat. It was thrilling, awe-inspiring, but it made his heart miss a beat or two at the thought of the wounds and death to come, all the more terrible because those who fought together were of the same blood and the same nation. Warner and Pennington joined him on the height where he stood, and they saw that in the early hours before dawn the northern generals had not been idle. The whole army of Pope was massed along the left bank of the river, and every high point was crowned with heavy batteries of artillery. There had been a long drought, and at some points the Rappahannock could be forded, but not in the face of such a defense as the north here offered. Colonel Winchester himself came a moment or two later, and joined them as they gazed at the two armies and the river between. Both he and the boys used their glasses, and they distinctly saw the southern masses. "'Will they try to cross, sir?' asked Dick of the colonel. "'I don't think so, but if they do, we ought to beat them back. "'Meanwhile, Dick, my boy, every day's delay is a fresh card in our hand. "'McClellan is landing his army at Aquia Creek, "'whence it can march in two days to a junction with us.' when we would become overwhelming and irresistible. But I wish it didn't take so long to disembark an army. The note of anxiety in his voice did not escape, Dick. You wish, then, to be sure of the junction between our two armies before Lee and Jackson strike? Yes, Dick, that is what is on my mind. The retreat of this army, although it may have caused us chagrin, was most opportune. It gave us two chances— when we had but one before. But, Dick, I'm afraid. I wouldn't say this to anybody but you, and you must not repeat me. I wish I could divine what is in the mind of those two men, Lee and Jackson. They surely have a plan of some kind, but what is it? Have we any definite news from the other side, sir? Shepard came in this morning, but little ever escapes him, and he says that the whole southern army is up. All their best leaders are there, Lee and Jackson and Longstreet and the Hills and Early and Lawton and the others. He says that they are all flushed with confidence in their own courage and fighting powers and the ability of their leaders. Oh, if only the army of the Potomac would come, if we could only stave off battle long enough for it to reach us. Don't you think we could do it, sir? Couldn't General Pope retreat on Washington then, and as they continued to follow us, we could turn and spring on them with both armies? But Colonel Winchester shook his head. It would never do, he said. All Europe, eager to see the Union split, would then help the Confederacy in every possible manner. The old monarchies would say that, despite our superior numbers, we're not able to maintain ourselves outside the defenses of Washington, and these things would injure us in ways that we cannot afford. Remember, Dick, my boy, that this republic is the hope of the world, and that we must save it. It will be done, sir, said Dick, almost in the tone of a young prophet. I know the spirit of the men, no matter how many defeats are inflicted upon us by our own brethren, will triumph in the end, it's my own feeling, Dick. It cannot, it must not, be any other way. Dick remained upborne by a confidence in the future, rather than in the present, and throughout the morning he remained with his comrades, under arms, but doing little, save to hear the fitful firing which ran along a front of several miles. But later in the day, a heavy crash came from a ford further up the stream. Under cover of a great artillery fire, Stuart's cavalry dashed into the ford, and drove off the infantry, and a battery posted to defend it. Then they triumphantly placed heavy lines of pickets about the ford on the Union side. It was more than the Union lads could stand. A heavy mass of infantry, Colonel Winchester's regiment in the very front of it, marched forward to drive back these impertinent horsemen. They charged with so much impetuosity that Stuart's cavalry abandoned such dangerous ground. All the pickets were drawn in and they retreated in haste across the stream, the water foaming up in spurts about them beneath the pursuing bullets. Then came a silence and a great looking back and forth. The threatening armies stared at each other across the water but throughout the afternoon they lay idle. The pitiless August sun burned on, and the dust that had been trodden up by the scores of thousands hung in clouds, low but almost motionless. Dick went down into a little creek, emptying into the Rappahannock, and bathed his face and hands. Hundreds of others were doing the same. The water brought a great relief. Then he went back to Colonel Winchester and his comrades, and waited patiently with them until evening. He remembered Colonel Winchester's words earlier in the day, and as the darkness came, he began to wonder what Lee and Jackson were thinking. He believed that two such redoubtable commanders must have formed a plan by this time, and perhaps in the end it would be worth a hundred thousand men to know it but he could only stare into the darkness and guess and guess and one guess was as good as another the night seemed portentous to him it was full of sinister omens he strove to pierce the darkness on the other shore with his eyes and see what was going on there but he distinguished only a black background and a dim light of fires dick was not wrong the confederate commanders did have a plan and the omens which seemed sinister to him were sinister in fact. Jackson, with his forces, was marching up his side of the Rappahannock, and the great brain under the old slouch hat was working hard when Lee and Jackson found that the Union Army under the Rapidan had slipped away from them, they felt that they had wasted a great opportunity to strike the retreating force before it reached the Rappahannock, and that as they followed the situation of the Confederacy would become most critical. They would leave McClellan and the Army of the Potomac nearer to Richmond, their own capital, than they were. Nevertheless, Lee, full of daring despite his years, followed, and the dangers were growing thicker every hour around Pope. Dick, with his regiment, moved the next morning up the river. The enemy was in plain view beyond the stream, and Shepard and the other spies reported that the Southern Army showed no signs of retiring. But Shepard had said also that he would not be able to cross the river again. The hostile scouts and sharpshooters had become too vigilant. Yet he was sure that Lee and Jackson would attempt to force a passage higher up, where the drought had made good fords. "'It's well that we're showing vigilance,' said Colonel Winchester to Dick, he had fallen into the habit of talking much and confidentially to the boy, because he liked and trusted him, and for another reason which, to Dick, was yet in the background. Do you feel sure that the rebels will attempt the crossing? asked Dick. Beyond a doubt, they have every reason to strike before the army of the Potomac can come. Besides, it is in accord with the character of their generals. Both Lee and Jackson are always for the swift offensive and early, Longstreet and the hills are the same way. Hear that booming ahead? They're attacking one of the fords now. At a ford a mile above, and also at another mile or two further on, the southern troops had begun a heavy fire, and gathered in strong masses, were threatening every moment to attempt the passage. But the Union guns, posted on hills, made a vigorous reply, and the time passed in heavy cannonades, Colonel Winchester, his brows knitted and anxious, watched the fire of the cannon. He confided at last to his favorite aide his belief that what lay behind the cannonade was more important than the cannonade itself. "It must be a feint or a blind," he said. "They fire a great deal, but they don't make any dash for the stream. Now, the rebels haven't ammunition to waste then what do you think they're up to sir they must be sending a heavy force higher up the river to cross where there is no resistance and we must meet them there with my regiment only if we can obtain no other men the colonel obtained leave to go up the Rappahannock until nightfall but only his own regiment now reduced to less than 400 men was allotted to him in truth his division commander thought his purpose useless, but yielded to the insistence of Winchester, who was known to be an officer of great merit. It seemed to the Union generals that they must defend the fords where the southern army lay massed before them. Dick learned that there was a little place called Sulphur Springs some miles ahead, and that the river there was spanned by a bridge which the Union cavalry had wrecked the day before. He divined at once that Colonel Winchester had that ford in mind, and he was glad to be with him on the march to it. They left behind them the sound of the cannonade, which they learned afterward was being carried on by Longstreet, and followed the course of the stream as fast as they could over the hills and through the woods. But with so many obstacles they made slow progress, and in the close heat the men soon grew breathless. It was also late in the afternoon, and Dick was quite sure that they would not reach Sulphur Springs before nightfall. "'I've felt exactly this same air on the Great Plains,' said Pennington, as they stopped on the crest of a hill for the troops to rest a little. "'It's heavy and close, as if it were being all crowded together. It makes your lungs work twice as hard as usual, and it's also a sign.' "'Tell your sign, old weather-sharp,' said Warner. "'It's simple enough. "'The sign may not be so strong here, "'but it applies just as it does on the Great Plains. "'It means that a storm is coming. "'Anybody could tell that. "'Look there, in the southwest. "'See that cloud edging itself over the horizon? "'Things will turn loose tonight. "'Don't you say the same, Sergeant? "'You've been out in my country.' Sergeant Whitley was standing near them, regarding the cloud attentively. Yes, Mr. Pennington, he replied, I was out there a long time, and I'd rather be there now fighting the Indians instead of fighting our own people, although no other choice was left me. I've seen some terrible hurricanes on the plains, winds that would cut the earth as if it was done with a plowshare, and these armies are going to be rained on mighty hard tonight." Dick smiled a little at the sergeant's solemn tone and formal words, but he saw that he was very much in earnest. Nor was he one to underrate weather effects upon movements in war. What will it mean to the two armies, sergeant? he asked. Depends upon what happens before she busts. If a rebel force is then across, it's bad for us, but if it ain't, the more water between us and them, the better. This, I take it, is the end of the drought, and a flood will come tumbling down from the mountains. The sun now darkened, and the clouds gathered heavily on the western horizon. Colonel Winchester's anxiety increased fast. It became evident that the regiment could not reach Sulphur Springs until far into the night, and still full of alarms, he resolved to take a small detachment, chiefly of his staff and ride forward at the utmost speed he chose about twenty men including dick warner pennington sergeant whitley and another veteran who were mounted on the horses of junior officers left behind and pressed forward with speed a west virginian named shattuck knew something of the country and led them what is this place sulphur springs asked colonel winchester of shattuck some big sulfur springs spout out of the bank and run down to the river. They are fine and healthy to drink, and there's a lot of cottages built up by people who come there to stay a while. But I guess them people have gone away. It ain't no place for health just at this time. That's a certainty, said Colonel Winchester. And then there's the bridge, which, as we know, the cavalry has broke down. Fortunately— but can't we go a little faster, boys? There was a well-defined road, and Shattuck now led them at a gallop. As they approached the springs, they checked their speed, owing to the increasing darkness. But Dick's good ears soon told him that something was happening at the springs. He heard faintly the sound of voices and the clank and rattle which many men with weapons cannot keep from making now and then. I'M AFRAID, SIR, HE SAID TO COLONEL WINCHESTER, THAT THEY'RE ALREADY ACROSS. THE LITTLE TROOP STOPPED AT THE COMMAND OF ITS LEADER, AND ALL LISTENED INTENTLY. IT WAS VERY DARK NOW, AND THE WOOD WAS MOANING. BUT THE COLUMNS OF AIR CAME DIRECTLY FROM THE WOOD, BEARING CLEARLY UPON THEIR CREST THE NOISES MADE BY REGIMENTS. YOU'RE RIGHT, DICK, SAID COLONEL WINCHESTER, BITTER MORTIFICATION SHOWING IN HIS TONE. They're there, and they're on our side of the river. Oh, we might have known it. They say that Stonewall Jackson never sleeps, and they make no mistake when they call his infantry foot cavalry. Dick was silent. He shared his leader's intense disappointment, but he knew it was not for him to speak at this moment. Mr. Shattuck said Colonel Winchester, how near do you think we can approach without being seen? I know a neck of woods leading within a hundred yards of the cottages. If we was to leave our horses here with a couple of men, we could slip down among the trees and bushes, and there ain't one chance in ten that we'd be seen on so dark a night. Then you lead us. Polly, you and Woodfall hold the horses. Now follow softly, lads. All of you have hunted the coon and possum at night, and you should know how to step without making noise. Shattuck advanced with certainty, and the others, true to their training, came behind him in single file, and without noise. But as they advanced, the sounds of an army ahead of them increased, and when they reached the edge of the covert, they saw a great Confederate division on their side of the stream, in full possession of the cottages, and occupying all the ground about them. Many men were at work, restoring the wrecked bridge, but the others were eating their suppers, or were at rest. There must be seven or eight thousand men here, said Dick, who did not miss the full significance of the fact. So it seems, said Warner, and I'm afraid it bodes ill for General Pope. End of Chapter 3 Part 2